So welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. Uh, today we are joined uh, by Ben Steinhauer from Sally Cree Nation. We are in season four, uh, episode eight, and it's been a while since Amber and I have recorded a podcast. Um, I was thinking today, I said, it almost, I almost feel like I forgot. <laughs> I'm forgetting how to do podcasts, but you know, once we uh, uh, had been here and just having these conversations, you know, it, it brings me back to this space and, and I'm really thankful to be here with both of you. Um, so I'm going to hand it over to Ben and Ben, I'll let you introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you. And thank you, Terry, for inviting me to be on this. And um, I'll just go right into it. You know, um, my name is Ben Steinhauer. I come from the Satellite Cree Nation, from the Steinhauer family. And I'm just going to talk a little bit about my background, as Terry has invited me on here to kind of speak about my my unique standing as a, a young Indigenous person in uh, our communities, that I had a different upbringing in a way and a different education than a lot of other people is that my parents decided to educate me in our cultural system before I went and learned um, about education in Western school and Western society. Because um, I learned later in life that my dad had really wanted to preserve our culture and knowledge so that hopefully, you know, by me learning, you know, our culture before learning Western society, I would have a different perspective on the world or everything just going on and also in hopes of preserving our culture longer so that you know my children and grandchildren could benefit from our culture as well so i'll kind of just start in the the beginning of my my life my dad and mom didn't send me to school to you know um school at all they homeschooled me but it was their variation of homeschool Mm -hmm. and it was uh kind of interesting because thinking about it now as an adult it was definitely an interesting prospect because it was very unique it wasn't really following the curriculum system of homeschooling or a school system my dad uh would take me around with him to ceremonies my late muslim mike steinhauer you know, was, uh, had a lot of ceremonies, you know, we did sweats, you know, chicken dances, ghost dances, horse dances, bear lodge, all these different ceremonies. And we had a good connection and relationship with a lot of other families that did, you know, Sundance or all these other ceremonies. So I spent most of my young childhood, you know, from ages probably four and up, just going to these ceremonies every week with my dad. And my dad would bring me in and sit me next to you know, one of the elders who was leading the lodge or my Muslim, and they would they would sit there with me and kind of, you know, tell me what was going on. And so I learned, you know, kind of in, in that way, that was my school, is I, I had to go to these lodges and these ceremonies and participate and to understand what was happening. So by the time I was eight years old, I had a really good understanding of all these ceremonies, you know. Um, when I was about eight years old, my late Muslim Mike would, Every time we would sweat, he would he would get me to make the sweat fire. That was one of my jobs as a small kid because I was big enough to do it now. And he would instruct me all the way through and he would even teach me. He taught me how to pray, he taught me how to offer tobacco, you know, when he would load his pipe, he would teach me how to load the pipe, handle the pipe. You know, how when he would go in and sweat, he'd teach me why we splashed, how many times we splashed, all of these things. And this was a daily part of my life every week. So it was kind of funny because, you know, all these other kids that had lots of cousins, well, they had to go to school. I had to go to the chicken dance, the sun dances, whatever ceremony was going on. 
I had to go to that instead. And so my mom and dad did teach me how to, of course, read, write, math, all that stuff. Very simple, you know, stuff, the basic needs and understanding for anyone at a young age. So they taught me all of that in the in our free time. But again, most of my time was spent learning these these ceremonies. And also I had good exposure to the Cree language so I could understand a good amount when I was young. And as I got older and, you know, became a teenager, my involvement became more on my own. My dad no longer said I had to go. I just went on my own. My dad would say, you know, there's a chicken dance, you know, in Onion Lake, or there's a chicken dance in Frog Lake or Sundance, etc. And I'd say, okay, let's go. Or my late uncle Vincent Steinhauer, he always, he had lots of ceremonies. When my late, when some Mike passed, passed to my late uncle, my late uncle Vincent, and he started running these ceremonies. So I started helping him and I was one of his, his main helpers again. And so everything I had learned as a child, I realized I had started unconsciously implementing all the time whenever I went to these things. And in my later teens, you know, I, I went through men's rites of passage and all these things. And my family really did their best to educate me on our understanding of, you know, uh, your life, the laws, the, the way we live, as well as our treaty as Treaty 6 people. And that was one thing that my family had always stands out in my memory is, my late Muslim Mike and all these elders like late James Cardinal, Eugene Cardinal, Raymond Cardinal, Louis McGilvery, George O'Chees, right? George Breton, late Veronica Morin, you know, all these people, there's lots of them. You know, they used to always be in the, in the house and they'd be visiting each other, talking and always listening to them and their concern for the future of our people and the future of our treaty and the future of our young people because they, I would always listen because I was left alone with them to listen in. And they would always speak about their concern about how are our people going to know who we are if they don't even understand our laws, our teachings or our language? How are we going to identify as Cree people if we have no culture, no language and no identity? And it was always a concern to them for how we were going to maintain our identity as Indigenous people or were we just going to kind of disappear into the general population of the world and be just become like everybody else, colonized and just to assimilate it and just act like everybody. And so the, that was a concern of theirs. And I grew up listening to this on many different levels, not just, you know, on a day-to-day -day level, but also a, like a, a political level where Canada's recognition of Indigenous people and the genocide and all the horrible things that had gone on here as well. You know, my family explained a lot to me about, they told me when I was little, like one day when you're older, you are the one that's going to have to face the really hard times. And I used to ask them what they meant. And they used to say, because, you know, it was hard for us, but it's going to be hard for you in a different way. Because they said, for us, we did still have our language. We can speak it. We had an understanding of our language at a higher level. We had an understanding of our culture at a higher level. And there was lots of people we could ask for help from. They said, you, when you're an adult, there's going to be very few people you will be able to look to for help. And there'll be very few people you'll be able to look to for language instruction because we're losing that so fast. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be up to your generation on whether or not you're going to step up to keep these things alive or have them be a part of your life anymore. Mm -hmm. And they said, that's a hard choice because it means you have to devote your life to keeping these things alive or to participate in these things. And they said that it's also up to you to maintain our treaties because when we're all gone, you're the next generation who need to be able to stand up against Canada 
to maintain who we are as Indigenous people and our Indigenous rights and our treaty rights and what that really means from our side, not their side. And they told me that that's what they meant when it said, it's going to be hard for me. It's going to be hard for your, you know, all your cousins, you guys as generation have a lot of work to look into. So I grew up with that really strong notion of kind of always pushing me to think about what I was going to do. And it was interesting because as, you know, like I said earlier, as when I became into my late teens, I really started looking at my life and how I was brought up because I had lots of cousins who went to school and did all these things. And, you know, me and my cousins hung out all the time. There was no real issue with that or anything. And I looked, the one main thing I looked at was when I went to visit anyone in my peer group, there was such a, a loss of understanding of our culture, our treaties and our language. I could recognize that right away. That it was a huge difference looking at the way I was raised in comparison to how most people were being brought up in Western society because I looked at school. School doesn't teach you our culture, our language, nor does it teach you our values or what the treaty really means from our point of view. And so now as an adult, you know, I'm 26 now, I always look back at how much work my family, kind of my dad, you know, put into kind of giving me the opportunity. And so I'm I'm always really grateful for my unusual upbringing because I really do appreciate our culture and value our culture. And I, I really want to see our culture survive as well as our language and our, our ways of life, because I think they're beautiful. And I was really got a, I'm very blessed. I always say I was so blessed to be able to be given an opportunity to grow up with, you know, I didn't ever miss a ceremony because my family prioritized that. They said, no, there's a ceremony, go there first. You know, whenever there is elders visiting, go see that elder, give them tobacco, ask them a question, go talk to them, make a relationship. You know, we're losing our teachers. You need to have as many teachers as you can, because that way you can see the world from many different perspectives Mm -hmm. and many different ideas. And you can collectively look at it with your own. And so it was a very, very positive upbringing. And so I'm, I'm really grateful. I was, again, always grateful I was given that to be able to kind of bring myself to where I am. And again, very unusual because, you know, I always look at all my peers, they're in school, university, all these things. And, you know, some of them are taking indigenous studies. And I always find that interesting because they come (laughs) back and they ask me, right? Okay. I have all these questions about indigenous studies. What do I do here? And I look at it all. Right. And I'm like, well, I don't like what they're saying about this. And I don't know about that. And I don't know, but it's kind of interesting because, you know, I find that interesting that that's a course. But whenever I look at the courses, they're, they're, this, isn't to make, this isn't to make light of anyone's hard work in making these courses. It's just that it's missing a lot of it's always missing the spirit of our culture. You know, what our culture really means. And I always tell my family because I'm looked to in my peer group and my family to help them with kind of these things and understanding our our culture sometimes because of the opportunity I got to spend that time with those elders and so whenever I look at it I always tell them that our culture isn't isn't like because a lot of people compare right Cree culture or indigenous culture to a religion right spirituality to a religion and I was always taught as a as a young boy that this this isn't religion we're not blindly following things we're living a life of positivity and our culture is built around happiness love joy and respect and that goes for everything in this world and they said it's just living a life of happiness, treating everyone you meet with, with respect, kindness, and you're not, you know, trampling or hurting everything around you. 
And so I always tell, you know, my my peer group or people that ask me these questions that you don't think of it as a religion. You're not blindly following something. You're looking at it as a positive way of living. Our, our culture is very kind and gentle. So whenever you look at our, our treaty, especially, you know, for when I get a lot of questions because people do presentations on treaty, I say, when you need to think about our side, our side was founded off love, right? Love. There was four teachings. It was explained to me that these four teachings were a big part of our culture. And they were the first four laws that the creator gave us. And that's love, honesty, helping, and strength. Because uh, my elders told me that if you were able to at least live your life every day with these teachings being a part of every choice you make every day, you will have a healthy, happy life. And that that is with the base that we formed that treaty off. They said, that's why we signed that X. That X is that four directions they told me. And it's each, each point of those four directions is one of those teachings. And that's why we put that symbol there. But they said that these, these uh, our visitors didn't interpret it that way. And so that's one of the problems they told me that our, there's two interpretations here. There's what they look at the treaty as and there's what we look at the treaty as. And they said, you never forget our side because the treaty was based off our side, not their side. And so that's kind of where I've always done my best to learn from all of those things I was taught. And so kind of in a in a nutshell, that's basically my upbringing. Very unusual, you know, kind of different. You know, I, I don't really know sometimes like it doesn't feel different to me because that's all I knew. So mm-hmm. now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's definitely different but it still doesn't feel different it just felt like every day of my life so yeah that's pretty much all I have to say about that for now (laughs) I don't know what else to say I'm not good at that you know not good there's (laughs) there's so many things that um you know and and a couple of times you you mentioned it being um like an unusual upbringing and I think that um even just thinking about like and hearing that story and how that's so not unusual. <laughs> like really, when you think about it in the context of, you know, our people, like that is, that's quite, that's normal. That's quite usual. Right. And then I, I also was thinking about when you were talking about how, you know, what we see today, because, you know, Terry and I both work um, as social workers and uh, one of the things that we have seen is this, you know, punitive uh, consequence or punitive consequences for children not attending um, public education. And that if children are not being sent to school, there has been a long narrative that, uh, that those children are being neglected or that those children have, are experiencing, you know, automatically it has to do with neglect really is is what it's deemed as and so not sending children to school has had really negative consequences for our people historically you know from the start of Indian residential schools till today and so what I love to hear is this other story of where there there was no punitive event if there was any punitive consequences uh, for your parents but but really how you said something and you said, da, 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 where is it? You talked about your parents ensuring you had different perspectives before going into public education or before being indoctrinated with mm-hmm. public education. And so I really appreciate that 
And the last thing I'll say, and maybe you can expand on this, is when you were talking about how, you know, from a very early, from the time you were quite small until you were a teenager, having these experiences first. And, you know, we think about like our Turtle Watch teachings or our our, our understanding of child development and those different stages of, of child development. And, you know, when you think about those stages of, you know, the happy, fast, wandering, you know, truth stages, all those stages that we believe our children, um, that they must um, experience in order to quote unquote, move into those next stages and, and to have a full life. And, and I, I love how, you know, your story talks about that in those stages, I can, I was actually thinking about it. I was like, wow, like being, being a small child and listening to everyone around you. And I mean, Terry and I have had these experiences when we were children as well, but having those times where you're just sitting there as a little kid and you're like listening to all the other, the older people in the room speak and you're, and you're part of that. And there's an energy in those spaces that's so undeniable. Anyway, now I'm rambling, but you made me think about 17 different things, Ben. Um, <laughs> but but you like again, it's that I keep going back to that how how beautiful that is because again, the non there's a message in that that we no longer have to believe and we never had to believe that by not sending our children to school, there's punitive consequence, you know, again, to indoctrinate our children. Anyway, I, I'm just talking, but I, thank you for saying that, Ben. There's so many things that I'm writing notes about. Well, no, you're welcome. I'm, I'm glad that that part is, you know, that it's, it's doing something for other people. That's always something that I find interesting is that, uh, again, like I said, it doesn't come off to me as, like, I don't notice the differences because it's every day for me, but I always appreciate that people get value or out of my, my, my existence. No, I'm just kidding. That's always what my dad would joke about when I was little. He said, one day you'll be valued. I said, why? Because you'll be alive. And I always laugh. It's very funny. Because, yes, I was given a, that opportunity to be able to look at things from the, our point of view. And, again, you're right. It's, it's not really right to call it you know, an unusual upbringing. It's really just my parents trying to bring me up the way we used to be brought up. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really mm-hmm. what it was, was, you know, and it was hard. It was because like you said, there was no punitive consequences, but they had to argue with education authority for quite a few years because education authority said, well, you can homeschool your child, but you have to demonstrate a curriculum, right? You have to demonstrate a process. You have to demonstrate a grade. You have to, you know, all of these things, right? And my dad argued and said, you know, this isn't our way. That's your way. That is your system. We are not from your country. You are in our country. You are a visitor. You have no right to enforce these upon us. You attempted to do this illegally through residential school already. Mm-hmm. And he said that you have no right. So it was a very long, you know, and of course, stressful battle for my parents. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they won. And it was, I, I don't actually know how. I don't, like, I don't know how. I never actually asked. But obviously, they won because we got left alone. They completely left us alone and they never questioned me again. You know, they never questioned everything because when they wanted to demand a curriculum, my dad just said, well, this curriculum is to attend and learn our ceremonies, our culture and our language and everything you tried to take away. And that's what he told them, which is very strong, of course. And it's a delicate topic, even, you know, amongst, you know, when you get into kind of 
Canada and all of that stuff. So I'm sure it was quite the conversation. I would have liked to hear it now, but that's long since passed. And again, it's it's a very interesting, even when I think about that, my dad alone kind of going up against, you know, education and fighting with them. It's very interesting because I think of my late grandfather, who, of course, went to residential school, you know, who was also in World War II and had all these different experiences. And one of the things he told my dad was, most of my life, I didn't have a choice of anything I could ever do. I didn't get to choose what I did. I didn't get to choose how I lived. And I didn't get to choose whether I was a human. He said, if I chose this way, I wasn't human. I wasn't alive. I was bad. I was sick. There was always something wrong with me, he said. And he said, I was punished just for existing. And he said, I couldn't understand why these people punished us so much just for existing when we opened our hand with love and kindness. And so this is a very strong message from my dad. And I honestly think that that's what pushed my dad to do that for me was he really wanted to give me what he wanted. And that's what he wanted when he was little. He told me the story of when he had to go to boarding school, a Catholic boarding school, you know, and he said it was it was a horrifying experience. He was nine years old when they had to go. And he said it was something that disturbs, still disturbs him now. And so he said that he wanted me to never experience the things that they experienced. He said, I wanted you to learn when the things because you wanted to learn them, not because you had to learn them. And if you didn't, there was something wrong with you. So it's a very strong message, you know, especially for me. And I just think it's a strong message for people in general, especially indigenous people. You know, we we really need to maintain our culture and our beliefs as well. But also our human rights, you know, these things were taken away for so long that, you know, it, it's been so hard to bring back all of the things we've, you know, lost. But at the same time, you know, we have such a beautiful and loving, kind culture that I kind of feel like giving it up would be such a huge loss. Now, you know, always pushing for all of our systems, you know, child welfare, education, every part of our system. You know, if you're on if our reserves, if they have that opportunity to, you know, expand on our involving our system of education alongside their Western system. So that way they can coexist as they were supposed to. I jotted a lot of notes down too. So I'm just going to go through a couple of them. Um, And I think that, you know, at the very beginning, and I've heard this and I don't know where I heard it from and I should remember. Um, And I don't know whether it was, it was said on a podcast or in conversation with somebody with an elder. Like, I feel like it was in circle with an elder, but there was, there was, um, there was something shared about, you know, our, our Western education, this Western education system will always be available. It mm-hmm. will always be there. And, and, um, and, I, and maybe even Ben, I feel like maybe you mentioned that in that lecture that we did together. And I think that we think about our lodges and I think about the importance of, of even just bringing, you know, my children, um, into those spaces and and taking them out of school um, to be in those spaces. And and we've talked a lot about this on our podcast, about the importance of that and how those spaces offer us things that the the Western school system cannot. And, you know, you also spoke about how the elder shared with you how, you know, in in your time, in our time, in today, um, how it'll be a lot more difficult for us 
um, to look for others to help us or to even um, to understand the language or those language speakers and and I think like I see that now even as I do my research and understanding um, traditional healing and understanding ceremony as healing and understanding even um, the research within the language there's just so much there's so much information um, that that we need to share within our own communities with our own children um, and it's so important and, and Ben you're 26 years old like <laughs> you're 26 years old and I've seen you speak um, you know in large groups I, I I know that you've you've taught at the University of Blue Quills um, and I've heard you speak when we've lectured together previously and um, I can see the depth of knowledge that you have because of the education that you had with many elders and knowledge keepers from a very young age like it's just it's it's beautiful to see and I think that it's really important um, that we have you know people like you to be able to share that knowledge as a young man and I think that you know you you said something and it clicked and it, you talked about how your parents encouraged you to have many teachers and to go out there and understand all these different perspectives and as a young person not as young as you <laughs> but as a young person <laughs> try to act <laughs> hey hey who's hey, young hey who's <laughs> young i was trying to chime in um right here. <laughs> is that i have experienced uh elders or knowledge keepers and and again like those who have maybe been impacted in some way with with colonization and 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 religion and and different values and beliefs but how that i i'm to stay with one teacher and i struggle with that because i feel like and i'm very open-minded and understanding and again learning from all these different perspectives um, and learning from many different elders because there's so much knowledge that we can build on and that we can learn from different people. Um, and and as you mentioned, you had many of that. You know, you had many opportunities to be with some of our um, beautiful elders as a, as a young person and, and sharing that space. And so my next question, I think, for you <clears throat> would be, uh, you've talked a little bit about men's rites of passage. And I just want to get your, I guess, your words and in, in the importance of that for our men. Um, because we don't necessarily, we see it coming, we see this resurgence coming back with our camps and our cu- cultural camps and our land-based um, education opportunities within our communities, which is really great. Uh, but I just want to, if you could expand on that a little bit more, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, then to speak about the, the men's, the men's, you know, roles as well as our rites of passage is a very important thing as 
I was told that uh, rites of passage as, you know, whether it's a, bo- a male or female, the importance of rites of passage is it's the most, it's the part that teaches you how to make healthy choices in your life. This is where our old people would say to you, before you go out and seek an education and before you go out and seek a life, you have to know how to navigate life. You have to know how to make a choice. You have to know how things, if, you know, to know whether this is bad or this is good. This is right or this is wrong. You need no confusion. And this is the most important thing about men's rites of passage. And I felt the impact. And those in my family that went through this felt the impact because you went into life something as simple as what am I going to take when I go to university? You know, we struggle with that. All of us struggle with what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? You know, and this is such a huge question for everybody. And this helps so much with just being clear. So to kind of elaborate a little bit, men's rites of passage starts when you are a young boy and you get your first kill. Like as an example, that's providing for your family, whether it's like, you know, we looked at it long ago as, you know, maybe you got your first rabbit or your first duck or a goose or something small. Because the reason that we looked at that as something big was that meant that that boy was was now interested in learning how to provide for a family. This is providing. This doesn't just mean his own family in the future for his current family. Right. We look after our parents. We look after our grandparents, mm-hmm. our, you know, our our family, our loved ones. And so the importance of that is now this. This young, this young, this boy, because in Cree culture, you know, I was, it was told to me that we look at it as you're a, you're a child, you're a boy, and then you're just a man. There's no, there's nothing in between. You're, you know, you're a, a, you're a child, you're a girl, you're a woman. You know, that's how the, it kind of goes. So, you know, that's how it was explained to me. So once we get that, that first kill, there's a ceremony where the old women in your family, they'll cook that for you and to feed everybody. Because now you just fed your family for the first time. Right. You fed your family. And that's really important that you fed your family. And so from there, you would be educated upon things like the pipe fasting. You'd be sent out to fast where you go out and connect with your spiritual, you know, family, your spiritual, your ancestors, however you want to kind of say that. But it's a connection in connecting to something that's not us. So it's giving us a stability where we can be grounded and be in a place of you could even say meditation, clarity. So we're able to look at things from a completely different side because lots of times, right, we struggle to look at things when there's chaos around us or our own family. Because, you know, sometimes we don't get along with even your sibling. They bug each other. You bug them. You know, this is such a small dynamic. but We don't realize how much it gets in the way of us making decisions with more clarity. And that's how it was explained to me is that when you go out here alone in the bush, you know, we'll look after you. We'll sing for you every night, but you'll be out here alone learning on your own, experiencing things on your own, and you'll have nothing to distract you. And you'll be going through that, that appreciation for food and water. Cause you know, when we fast, we don't drink or eat for, you know, four days and four nights. And when you do that for the first time, it's so hard, right? But when you're done, no matter who you are, when you first drink that water, you are like, holy crap this water is so good and it's it's like you don't even get it like you just you can't even explain it you just got to do it and then but then you realize holy crap if i didn't have clean water to drink where would i be mm-hmm. and that's what really hits you is where would we be without good water you know and the realization of how important water really is 
And then you're hungry, right? The first time you eat, you're so hungry. You can only eat a few things because your stomach has shrunk so much. But again, you then realize the importance of food. And then you think, how hard is it to go get food? Even today, it's not as easy as you think. Because think about it. We have to have a job to make money to go get food. We're still working to get our food, even though it's not in the same way. And there are a lot of people that don't have food. So when you really think about that, it helps you to really understand the importance and preservation of food and water. And I grew up in a household where I saw food and water were very important. My dad was very like, there was no like, if I didn't finish my food, my dad finished my food, you know, there was never leftovers, you know, there was always we ate everything, right? My dad was always very clear on that. And you know, when I was really little, I didn't understand it as much. But now after fasting and going through the men's rites of passage, it was a really strong thing. And I always believe that that's such an important thing for everybody to go through because it's not a huge thing, but it really changes your perspective of just how we live and how we eat and what we do. Mm-hmm. And that really is life changing on its own because that clears up a whole portion of your, your life. You look at food different. You look at water different. Your gratitude for your family being able to food you, you know, feed you all this good food, it becomes so much stronger. You know, you really learn to appreciate the things you're given more. Mm. You know, and that's one of the beautiful things, again, about the rites of passage is it gives you an, the opportunity to look at things from such a clear perspective. And I, I was I use clear the word clear because there's no nothing else. You just, you know, when you're thirsty and you have no water and you get water, it's holy crap, that water was so good. It's so beautiful. It's so important. You're not thinking, oh, that was okay. I could go for another six days without that. No, I'm just kidding. You know, <laughs> it's just real clear. It's I need water. I need it now, you know? And so that's what I mean by it really helps everything become clear because after your first fast, you go for another fast the next year. But you already are expecting that feeling. You've gone through that. So now that clarity shifts to other places. Mm. And that's what's important about it is it gives you, now you can put that clarity into whatever you want. Mm. And Mm. that gives you an opportunity to really change your life. Just a little short kind of story is my brother, my older brother, he's 22 years older than me, really struggled as a young person. Like he was very, there's a lot of anger and just, you know, everyone struggles. Everyone has struggles and, you know, he fasted just once, but after that fast, his life changed completely. You could, you know, it was so much easier. There was so much more clarity. So I always looked at that because, you know, the first time I was going to fast, I was nervous, you know, and my dad said, no, you'll be fine. You're, you're going to be okay. And he said, just remember, we've all done this. And he said, you will be happy you did it. And I was, you know, when I came out, I was I was happy I did it, even though it was scary and I was thirsty and hungry. <laughs> but when I came out, it was like, I'll do that again. That was great, you know. And so I've, I've done it for many years. And that's mainly the one because once you kind of get into that, you, you continuously are able to ground yourself. And for everybody, and this goes for everybody, I still believe that one of the most important teachings in our culture, which is always part of rites of passage, is we need to be taught how to make healthy choices. Because our entire life is just a bunch of choices. And if we can't make those healthy choices, we go through the system of trial and error more so than ever. But a lot, some mistakes, I was told, it's okay to make mistakes, but you can't take back mistakes. And some mistakes are much bigger than others. And you live with them for the rest of your life. 
And so then when I was, you know, fasting, he said, but what if you had the knowledge ahead of time not to make that mistake? So you'd know if you chose this, you knew it was coming instead. So you had a clear path. It's either I go this way, I get hurt. I go this way, I'm happy. Now you pick on your own with the full knowledge of what each choice brings rather than looking at it as just a fork in the road where you're like, I don't know which way I should go. You know, and that's how it was explained to me is that that's really important. And there, without getting into too much detail, because there's like a lot of protocol, there's a lot of detail, right? You know, I went through many days and years and years of being taught things by elders to kind of fully encompass what the men's rites of passage is. But that's where it's initiated is mm-hmm. through your first kill, because you're learning how to provide for a family. And as a man, your role in life is to provide for your family. You know, for a woman on that side, we all know that's when they enter their first moon time, because then after that, they can take care of a family, you know, and these are the two sides. And so for men, we need to really learn how to take care of a family and also what that really means to indigenous people, because it's not just I I got money and I can give you the money and you can have food. It's loving your family, treating them with respect, having good relationships, raising your Mm -hmm. children with health being a good role model, walking ahead and standing in front and doing whatever you can to ensure the health and future of your family. That's so much, right? And that's such an important thing because when you really think about that, that's what everybody tries to do already. But in our culture, going through the rites of passage, you're just given a whole bunch of extra tools to navigate life in an easier way. And that's the simplest way to look at it. These are a whole bunch of tools that help you walk through life and make things easier so that anytime you're stuck and go, I don't know what to do. I'm, you know, stuck. I'm stressed. I'm panicking. I can't do this. I'm out of this. You know, you're at that place. You just go to that place in our culture and come right back with the answers. And I can say that that's what I've done my whole life. Every Mm -hmm. time I've gotten stuck, I just go back to that place in our culture that I learned from. I get the answers and I come back and I carry on. So that's just a really short. Again, it's it's hard to explain. There's many different teachings. There's many different you know things, and I learned from many different elders on the same topic. So again, it's there's so much yeah. stuff. But really, what it simply is is it's the teaching system to show you how to make good choices in your life as a young man and how to walk a path in life that will be healthy and will have you know benefit you in the future. That's what it is. It is to teach you how to be a healthy human being. That's the simplest answer of what men's rites of passage is and rites of passage in general. Hmm. I, okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> then right before you start, I was thinking of something that you said there at the end because is I remember you know just in conversation probably in the last in the last little while I feel like you know when people are coming and sometimes it's non indigenous people you know saying I don't know what to do you know or what am I how am I supposed to deal with this situation I'm like my response is what is go to the bush. <laughs> go sit out in the bush for a while and they don't get it but you know again like it, it speaks to that piece of the clarity and the help um that we we get in those spaces right so we, uh, we are closing up to wrapping up but i'll i'll hand it over to you amber i know you have i could see your mind going on the screen and, and I, I won't take too much time. I just, 
I, I think one of the good reminders that uh, you gave us then was about how, um, you know, Western um, education and colonial education or Eurocentric education uh, focuses on cognitive imperialism, which basically is about if you can read, write, and speak the English language really well, then you are, uh, then you graduate to being a economic citizen, uh, which supports capitalist culture, right? That's, mm. that's the underpinning of Eurocentric education is to make us, to make us consumers. And, and it's all about capitalist culture. Whereas with indigenous education or our knowledge systems, it's about locating gifts mm -hmm. and about, you know, ensuring that every single child, indigenous child, locates their gift or gifts and that they are connected to, you know, we talked about this on another podcast with uh, Dr. Michael Hart and we talked about, um, you know, Terry and I had a question and that question was, you know, around you know, calling our spirits back or, you know, what, what do we do when people are disconnected from culture or sorry, from spirituality? And, and he challenged us to think about it differently. And he said, can you ever really be fully disconnected from spirit? Can you ever be fully disconnected from spirit? If it's all around us, then, you know, how are we disconnected from it? And he said, maybe the question is instead, um, maybe we just can't recognize it or thinking about, you know, the recognition of spirit when it's around us. And I think that that's one of the things that, again, really rings true when you were talking, uh, Ben, was around those very, very clear differences about, you know, again, Eurocentric capitalist, you know, consumerism, cognitive imperialism and Indigenous education. And again, really about, like you said, like locating gifts so that you can live a good life. And it's and it sounds super simple. I know it's much much more complex than that, as we know. But but that really is the essence of it, isn't it? Is that it, it's about locating your gifts so you can live a good life and being connected to your spiritual family. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to thank you for that reminder because that's what was going on. That's what you saw happening in my brain, Terry. Um, and so I I'm, I'm just thankful for that. Yet. Thank you for that reminder. So as we are wrapping up, um, I, I, I want to leave the closing comments to you, Ben. Um, if there is anything that you feel um, that you want to share with our listeners that you feel um, is important for our listeners to know. Well, the only thing I can really think of just to say is that we all struggle, you know, especially Indigenous people with regaining our culture. And being, it's hard to sometimes go learn these things because where do we learn them? And some of these people are unapproachable. But I always say that you just need, if you're, if this, this culture is beautiful. This culture is kind. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid to go learn it. Don't be afraid to have part, be a part of your life because it will always help you. It will always be there to look after you and to just keep doing your best to, you know, learn as much as you can about it, you know, as all of us as Indigenous people, treaty people of this land, to be able to just have the kind of courage to step forward and go learn a little something, just little things, even if it's something small, it's something, and it may help you one day. And that that's something I always think of, and I always say is, don't be afraid to go learn. I was afraid to, but I went and I learned, and I'm grateful I went. 
there's always that experience we all have where we're afraid to do something. But then after we go through it, it's we are, we're not regretting it anymore because we realized how good it was and what we really got out of it. And it's just that just that first part of don't be afraid to go learn your language, go learn your culture, to put that language and culture, you know, to implement it through school, wherever you work and all those things, because, you know, this is our home as Indigenous people. And this falls for every Indigenous person of Turtle Island, right? Mm-hmm. Our culture and our, our languages, they belong here. They're for us and they're for our help. So never be afraid to go learn your language, your culture, anything to do with it. You know, they'll help you always. And that's all I can really think of saying. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Um, and so thank you for joining us, uh, Ben, on Two Crees in a Pod. We were really looking forward to this episode with you. And uh, and again, uh, you know, we could probably sit here for a couple hours and, and learn from you, Ben. So we want to thank you. I hide and ask one for sharing your your knowledge and, and uh, your life with us, you know, and your time. And so we're just very, very thankful. Thank you very much. And I appreciate the invite and being included. You know, I'm just doing my best to share. I'm not always the best at when it comes to talking about myself. Like I said, I just did my best. So, you know, I always hope I didn't offend anybody or I made any comments. And I'm just trying to do my best to share whatever I whatever I know and to answer your questions as best I can. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Two crees in a pod. Two crees in a pod. Natani means. Yeah. Let's go. They pushed us to this point. Frustrations of a common man. Manifest the destiny, preach and pledge the promised land. I'm stuck between taking my journey, live with no honor. Like, what's the use of my kids? Can't taste clean water. A child born into a world, revolution's not a choice. Fighting to be heard, so we make them hear our voice. Remember ancestors' anguish, lightning in our veins. Hear it in a language when they are kitchen for the rain. I am product of people that persevere persecution. Paint me so creator sees me. If I go out shooting, experience our pain. When our women disappear daily. Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me We move in silence, cover of the night Learning from the wolves in the forest Tracking enemies in the woods Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptation? Colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said Two Crees in a Pod.